Frauds and liars. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock. And he's Jeremy Wallace. <laughs> and of course, you can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work appears at houstonchronicle.com and uh, expressnews.com down in San Antonio. Let's start with the border. It is really just coloring everything about our politics right now. And of course, as you have pointed out in your reporting, um, you, you've got Democrats and Republicans wanting to talk about different things. We'll get to the general election at some point. Democrats want to focus mostly on things like um, abortion rights. Uh, that's the, the big one, of course, and uh, some of the other things that Republicans have been doing in the states. Uh, but Republicans run the show around here. So we're gonna talk about the border. I have now heard Governor Abbott give basically the same speech about four times now at least as I've been traveling the state uh, for his rallies. Uh, he's, you know, he's really angry with the Republican Texas House members who voted, quote, the wrong way on school vouchers, which we'll get to that. Um, but that's not what he's talking about at these rallies. There's a little bit of, quote, school choice talk happening, but mostly it's all the border. This was the governor in North Texas just last week. Biden has failed to do his job. Listen, they don't need a new law in Congress to empower the president. The laws that already exist require the president to deny illegal entry, and if people enter illegally, to detain them. The president has violated both of those principles. Because he's violated those principles and laws, uh, and because in doing so, he's endangered the state of Texas. Texas is fully authorized to evoke Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution to protect our state from imminent danger and from the invasion taking place in our southern border. Now, Jeremy, does that sound a lot like what he's been saying on the border when you've been in Eagle Pass with him? Oh, yeah. It's like that's become more consistent and maybe more aggressive as we've gotten through uh, the last few months, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, the one, one, you know, I was in Deer Park with him at one point at, for one event, and he started talking about Joe Biden's Border Patrol yeah. versus, like, the United States governments. Mm -hmm. So it, we've now started to kind of separate this, you know, and the battle lines are getting clearer and more distinct and more us versus them even on the border where Border Patrol and you know Texas DPS used to work really well together. Mm -hmm. They really were like, you would see them all the time when I would go down there, like chipping in and helping each other out. Yeah. But now they're under orders not to do that in a lot of cases. They're now having to fight each other to do the same jobs they were doing seven months ago when they were all kind of working well together. Yeah, now Abbott said that you don't need any new laws, that the president could just shut it all down there. Um, and I would expect Democrats to disagree with him, but some Republicans do too. Um, for example, uh, Central Texas Congressman Chip Roy, that liberal, wait, is he? I was thinking about this. Um, and because, as you know, because he's often at odds with President Trump, there are some Republicans who call him a rhino, right? Which, you know what that means, right? Republican in name only, you've heard this for years. If Chip Roy is a rhino, then the word has no meaning, right? In fact, it would, follow me on this, it would be a word in name only, which would be a wino. <laughs> but Chip Roy says that Trump and Abbott are wrong, that we do need some new laws here. We're not going to just pass the buck and say that, oh, any president could walk in and secure the border. I saw former President Trump make that allegation earlier today on one of his social media posts. All the president has to do is 
declare the borders closed and it's closed. Well, with all due respect, that didn't happen in 2017, 18, 19, and 20. There were millions of people who came into the United States during those four years. Congressman Roy is never not screaming. Um, now, Republican Houston Congressman Dan Crenshaw says the idea that we don't need new laws is ludicrous. I understand some Republicans are saying, we don't need any changes to law. Then why did we write, write HR 2? Why, why did we do that? Why didn't Trump just shut down the border if you just think we don't need any changes to law? He couldn't. He had to make a deal with Mexico, and he did a great job doing that. Um, but he had to rely on literally international agreements to get it under control. So why aren't they doing anything in Washington? I think this is uh, very different, uh, Jeremy. I've been covering politics for, and we were talking about this before we came on stage. I've been covering it long enough that it starts to just sound like I'm old, right? If, if they say, this guy's been at it forever. Same thing for you, by the way. Um, this is different. Now you have uh, politicians who will just say it's because of politics. Here's Congressman Troy Nails from Fort Bend. Why would we do anything right now to help her with that 33%? Do you believe if Joe Biden's approval rating was at 53%, we would even be talking about the border? We wouldn't be talking about the southern border. But he has to do something because he's hemorrhaging. He's bleeding. So we need the issue to last all the way through November. Uh, you have had the reports out of Washington that President Trump was calling Republican senators even after they had a bipartisan agreement. Uh, you know, at least uh, they, they you know, had the handshake deal uh, at that point. We hadn't seen all the text of it yet. But Trump was calling folks and saying, don't pass this. I need the issue to beat up on Biden with in November, even if the bill would be good for America. Yeah, and you see that the danger of that is uh, for the leaders of the of Congress right now, even the Republicans. Uh, one of the you know the the most important things to know when you're running a state legislature or a Congress that you'll hear it from the Senate leader, the House Speaker. They know what the vote is every time. Right. They never put anything on the floor that's going to fail unless they intend it to fail. But what we've seen this last week and really the last six months is constantly the speaker or the Senate majority leader or minority leader in this case, no matter what they put out there, they're not sure where things are going. So they empower their people to get a border deal. They hang their own members out to dry, which is the one thing Mitch McConnell was a master at not doing. Right. But here he just, you know, if our, our friends up uh, north of the Red River, uh, they, they had James Langford uh, negotiating this, you know, bipartisan deal, he took a lot of slings and arrows from right. that thing. One of those he Oklahoma the, liberals. Yeah, he gets the deal done, and that's yeah. what's happening. They're calling him a liberal because yeah. he was working with Democrats, and McConnell, you know, actually told the caucus to vote against him, even though he had just empowered him to go work out the deal. You know, like he literally sent his own guy into this fire for no good reason, and that never used to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I, you know, I covered Congress for a long time, and you know, in the old days, you hear the word "whip." Yeah, you know, "whip" means to make sure you know that vote is going your way before right. it gets to the floor. Mm -hmm. You don't embarrass your members. You don't hang people out to dry in their next election, and that's what they just did—not just for Langford, but all those people who were involved in that negotiation. When you're right, left, or independent, the moderates all had to, you know, get involved in this too, and they've been all damaged. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just like, it's a disaster. And I've never seen it quite like this. And I've covered a lot of Congress. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. So, um, <laughs> 
So, so you don't see this uh, either often, uh, that, that you have some of the major players in one of the major political parties really pandering to an extremist base. I mean, let, let's get real here. Uh, the talk that uh, comes from uh, Republican leaders like Governor Abbott, who, and I've heard this from Republicans, they'd say, look, uh, in fact, a Republican member of the Texas House just the other day, who can go unnamed for now, uh, said that the way that Abbott's talking about the border it's almost worse than the way Trump was talking before January 6th and the riot happened there. This Republican was telling me that he thinks something violent is going to happen because of the way that Abbott and others are talking. So you may have seen that a lot of people from not Texas are, are coming to Texas to uh, protest at our border with Mexico. It's their border too, it's the US border, but they're not sending their best. <laughs> um, <laughs> They've had these rallies, and it's so dangerous in Eagle Pass now that they had a festival the other day with Trump supporters. Um, one of these Trump supporters, uh, of course, uh, is Keith Self. He's a congressman from Collin County. Where are my Collin County people? Y'all are proud of Congressman Self, I'm sure. Um, he told the Trump supporters who were gathered there that they are probably on a terror watch list now because they are against Joe Biden. Joe Biden's America, if you're a MAGA Republican, you're on the FBI watch list. That's what we're shooting for. The guy says, that's what we're shooting for. <laughs> now, at these rallies, some people like this guy, Michael Yon, who you might have heard of, he's known for um, saying pretty anti-Semitic, crazy things, hateful things. Um, th there's a lot of hangers on. A lot of these people who are just grifting on this whole thing. This guy said, that there are absolutely folks who are gonna come through the border to commit terrorist acts and try to follow this, that, that somehow Jewish people are paying for the people to come in and then Jews are going to be attacked. This is quite interesting because they are actually funding the people. They're gonna to come to places like Fort Lauderdale, synagogues, and they're gonna scream, Allah, Akbar! and they're gonna shoot the shit out of them, right? And they're coming across the border and they're being, they're just being funded with Jewish money, right? Now, I should have said that politics these days should come with a parental advisory. Um, might be an F-bomb here or there. It's usually a direct quote, or if it's just me saying it, won't be gratuitous. Um, it's not just the extremists attracted by all this. You've got all these folks coming in. Uh, Representative Eddie Morales from Eagle Pass, Texas, has said that uh, he used to support the governor's border operation, the $12 billion uh, operation Lone Star, but he says it's not really working. The numbers have just continued to increase. We have to answer to our Texas taxpayers. I don't think that um, it's enough what we're doing. As a matter of fact, it's only gotten uh, worse. Can you describe what it's like there at that park, Shelby Park, that has been the focus uh, of so much national coverage? You've been there and told me all and told our listeners all about what it's like. You look at the river and there's the razor wire and they have, uh, you know, all these barriers uh, to entry for people. But then if you turn around, it's just a normal town, right? Yeah, I've been stressing this and I'm not saying this just because, you know, of the mayor of Eagle Pass maybe having been here in this room. But look, it's real city. It's just a normal 
American city. Yeah. Uh, and most of the time, if you just look behind you <laughs> from the park, again, it's a park. It's a park where people play softball and soccer and golf. And, and, and but, even though there's all this war talk, everything is, is supposed to, supposedly a war on the border, you can still get a tea time at the golf course right next yes. door, right? Yes. It's fine. I, I stood on the fifth hole <laughs> until DPS and the razor wire <laughs> police came and got me, right? Yeah. You know, but so it's a regular normal park. But the, the, what's amazing though is I watched its transformation and, and I feel for the folks at Eagle Pass who must have used to use that park, right? Yeah. And it's like, but over the last year, I've watched it transform and maybe not in the best of ways. It went from being just a place where you could see kids playing mm -hmm. to now is like, I had to go through two different checkpoints just to get in there. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, the, the I used to be able to get into the parking lot, but then they, they put National Guard troops, not just from Texas, there's, you know, I had a Florida National Guardsman that I was talking to, a Missouri National Guardsman. Mm -hmm. All of these Republican governors have sent their their people down too. So you have Florida Highway Patrol down there. It's like, and so just trying to get through the checkpoints, I couldn't believe how many times I had to, you know, show my ID. They were taking my license plate. Like, why do I need my license plate? But you know, mm -hmm. I finally get in there, and you just realize it's like the show is so important right now. Right. Sometimes, like, you know, what you're being told is happening in Eagle Pass may not look like the reality. Mm -hmm. And what I, and particularly, there's a rush to get to the border and get in front of that razor wire because something has happened over the last couple of months that's really important. Yeah. The numbers are plummeting. It, it, even Governor mm -hmm. Abbott, I was, when I was with them in Eagle Pass's last time, not a lot of people picked up on this, but... He said, we went from having 5,000 people coming into this park, and I think now we're just down to three a day. Three. Three people a day coming across. Yeah. So now we have a billion-dollar operation and more military equipment than the poor folks in Ukraine probably have right now yeah. encircling this park in Shelby Park uh, for three people every day. Right. There is, there is like, it's probably 100 cops to one for every person who tries to cross into this so for the bargain price of $12 billion, the Texas taxpayer dollars, you can secure a city park. Now, why are we seeing this sort of extreme way of dealing with the border in this big show? You reported on this, and I thought it was really fascinating. You know, you have Operation Lone Star, then you have various pieces of legislation that have been passed by our legislature, including last year, a bill that says that uh, you know local cops can uh, they can deport people, yep. right? Now that's going to work its way through the courts, and we'll see what happens. Um, but for some people in the Republican Party, it's never enough. The prime suspect would be, you mentioned uh, Ukraine, Tucker Carlson. Now he has been pushing Abbott and pushing Abbott and other Republican governors, but mainly Abbott, because he's the Republican governor who has a border uh, with Mexico. Here was Tucker Carlson just a year ago, uh, just about a year ago, saying that Abbott basically sucks, that he's not taking care of border security at all. How many Texans do you think are all on board with letting seven million people cross into their state illegally? What percentage? Zero, zero. I don't care what your race or national origin, nobody is for that, that's insane. Has the governor of Texas done anything meaningful to stop that? No. The Republican governor? He's got a National Guard. He's the commander-in-chief of the National Guard, and it's Texas, so they're all large. And they have double-stack magazines in their sidearms. You think they couldn't stop that in a week if they... Of course. Just assemble along the border. We're not, we're not doing this. 
No, he refuses to do that. Jeremy, what you reported is that when Tucker Carlson tells Abbott to jump, Abbott's response is, how high, sir? Yeah, uh, you, you know, you got to go back in time to mm-hmm. kind of understand what's happening today. Uh, and back in time, it was, like, it was just two and a half years ago, really, when you really saw uh, you know, Governor Abbott had a lot of problems on the far right. Uh, we, we, we were in the crowd when he was being booed at Trump rallies, even though he had Trump support. Yeah. Uh, and then you had this guy who was getting beat up on Fox News. That clip uh, was when Tucker Carlson, you know, a, a year later, mm-hmm. quite honestly, was continuing this beat-up job he was doing yeah, on right. him. And then you had Don Huffines and Alan West, who built campaigns almost entirely around the border and Greg Abbott not doing enough at the mm-hmm. border. And you think, okay, wait, maybe all that's just on the peripheral. But that was starting to seep into kind of, you know, the, the, the underground like feel of who Greg Abbott was. Right. And I think that's where the Abbott people said, okay, so uh, Huffines and West and Tucker Carlson said mm-hmm. he should be sending more people to the border. Mm-hmm. And so we had 1,000 people down on the border. And what happened after that? We sent 10,000 people to yep. the border after right. all that started happening. Uh, Don Huffines said, I would shut down the border traffic and teach Mexico a lesson. What did we do? We shut down the, the border traffic. Right couple of months after he mm-hmm. said that. You, then you had uh, Alan West saying, hey, I think we should change the rules of engagement and get more aggressive on the border. And, like, we should have our soldiers down there yeah. you know, being more aggressive. And what have mm-hmm. we done since then? We laid razor wire where migrants who are getting hurt in the wire, we're not letting Border Patrol get to them to save them. Right. So you can see in each stage, Abbott has gotten more aggressive and more aggressive and here, the sad thing, in you know, some respect, it's working. It's like this guy has been able to turn himself into the leader of the National Republican Party on immigration. Right. Politically, it's working. Yeah, right? yeah politically, so, yeah. from a pure political mm-hmm. standpoint. So you ha- like this is something I have not seen from any Republican in America until mm-hmm. this last weekend when I was in Eagle Pass. Don't, uh, you had Greg Abbott standing alongside Sarah Huckabee Sanders, yeah. Trump's former. Uh, uh, press secretary and clearly a Trump person, standing next to, on the other side, was Brian Kemp, the right. governor of Georgia that Donald Trump tried to kill. <laughs> yeah. He wanted him so, out of office. Right. So you have Abbott getting love from both wings of the Republican Party right now, the most pronounced wings, mm-hmm. and they're all circling around him. And we had this constant, you know, um, particularly on Fox News, mm-hmm. everybody kept saying, you know, stand with Greg Abbott was trending on Twitter right. in Republican Twitter land. So you can see Abbott's completely distant from that image of who he was mm-hmm. two years ago. And now he looks like the king of the border. And that's going to help him nationally here on out. And you saw it in Eagle Pass this past weekend. Right. So you fast forward past uh, all of those things that he did. And I would point out that uh, the people who were criticizing him about his handling of the border, at least as far as political candidates, didn't he beat all of them? Yes. Right. And all of them are gone. All of the, all, <laughs> Even Tucker Carlson got knocked off Fox it, News. Right, right. <laughs> so on Fox News, Sean Hannity, after all of that, now he just praises Abbott anytime he's on the air. Governor, first, I applaud your efforts. You've been on this show many times. You've tried convoys. You, you, you have done everything humanly possible. So your state, uh, in, with its constitutional right, has put up the razor wire. They take you to court on that. Bill Lee is the governor of Tennessee, and he was right there alongside those other governors you were talking about. 
I'm here today as, as the chairman of the Republican Governor Association, number one, to say thank you to Governor Abbott, who has done everything within his power to provide an improvement to the situation at the border, to provide safety and security for Texans, for Americans. So the Democrats um, on this have struggled to come up with a message that resonates with almost anybody. Um, they, As I said, they want to talk about other things. Joaquin Castro, congressman from uh, San Antonio, said Republicans are so focused on this because the Republicans don't have a good message on anything else. Republicans have used this issue as their number one boogeyman, using uh, immigrants and migrants as political scarecrows to create fear and resentment. They do this because they have no other productive solutions on the issues that affect people's lives. Here's where I think that this is helping Republicans, at least in their primary battles. Abbott, of course, uh, is maybe, I'll just say it, maybe running for vice president. Seems like he's sort of hotboxing the, uh, you know, the former president into maybe at least considering him for that. Uh, I, I, I was talking with a Republican uh, state senator the other day uh, who said, that he said it this way. He said, um, I'm not saying that he's running for VP. I'm just saying he's doing all the things that you would do if you were, right? Um, but the GOP isn't really getting anywhere on this in Washington, even for some of the smaller bites of the apple. For example, they wanted to impeach uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. And what happened? They fell short on that? Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, they thought they had the, you know, the numbers with them. And you know, if, earlier this week, you know, watching that drama play off, I thought it was a fait accompli that they right. were going to start impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. Should be a slam dunk. Yeah. But, oh, my goodness. Like, this goes to what I was saying earlier. The, the, the new House Speaker, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure he's a very nice man, but he's very new at this. And he certainly doesn't know how to count the votes like I was talking about earlier. He is no Tip O'Neill. <laughs> no. Well, he's the Tip O'Neill of Shreveport. <laughs> Some of you will not get that. Um, <laughs> Wild, wild scene as you had Congressman Al Green from Houston who was in the hospital and he rose from the hospital bed to make his way to Capitol Hill to vote on that impeachment resolution. He, just, he said he was not going to let it happen. Because I've always held strong opinions about Mr. Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. Mm-hmm. I believe him to be a good, decent man. And I don't want his reputation besmirched in this way. I was looking at the news here in my hospital bed, and I saw that the vote was going to take place. I was, I was a little bit surprised. And when I saw this, I communicated with my chief surgeon, the hospital staff, the administrators, and we had a, a meeting to talk about whether I could have a furlough. And in the process of going through that, I called Mr. Jefferson, not Mr. Jefferson, Mr. Jeffries, mm-hmm. and I explained to him that I intended to make this vote. So I never had any kind of secret plan. I was doing my best to get from a hospital bed over to the floor to cast my vote. 
Yeah, the, 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 we got to take a step back on this. And so what ends up happening here is like they thought Al Green, who had had emergency abdominal surgery mm -hmm. earlier in the day, was not going to make it to Congress. They actually timed the vote for that because they needed that. They needed a Democrat to be gone because yeah. uh, another you know, member of Congress uh, is having a surgery uh, who's a Republican, and they know, knew that person was not going to be there. So yeah. they're like, "Oh, okay, Al Green's not going to be there. We can get this to the floor." That's why you didn't see a lot of buildup. It was just all of a sudden, suddenly on the floor that night, and they're thinking Al Green is in an emergency room. We can do this vote. And so Al Green shows up in the back corner, and, and, and Marjorie Taylor Green, who is leading the charge of all this, was so upset. She ends up saying to reporters that she thought it was a staged event where Al Green was hanging in the back corners of the Capitol <laughs> to you know, just fake them out, do a head fake <laughs> in this really dramatic move. So then he could do, a, a, we'll, we'll call it a Wes Unsold for, or, yep. or, or a Kurt Schilling for younger people or you know Isaiah Thomas, like, where, like the injured player is done, right? They're not coming back and then they make this triumphant return yeah. and they kill the entire impeachment with one vote because you didn't think that Al Green at 76 was going to crawl out of a hospital bed, get to the Capitol <laughs> bill, building yeah. just to vote you down. <laughs> right. All right. On the campaign trail back here uh, for the Texas House members who have displeased Governor Abbott uh, on his uh, public school privatization effort. Uh, he would like to send um, public dollars to private institutions. You have uh, come to know this issue as the school voucher issue if you are tethered to reality, or you might know it as the school choice issue um, if you're into pyramid schemes. Um, <clears throat> there's a group called, thank you. There's a group called the Family Empowerment Coalition. And this is funded by Doug Deason, my friend from Dallas, and uh, Leo Lindbeck III from Houston. Those are the main funders. Also on the board of that group is uh, former Senator Eddie Lucio Jr. Um, and he has, of course, been one of those who was uh, siding with Lieutenant Governor Patrick on the school voucher issue. Now, you would think that the commercials that those groups would run to try to attack Texas House members would be about school choice. It would be about parental empowerment and would be about things that are good for kids. <laughs> no, you'd be very wrong. Um, the group's main issue right now that they're attacking Texas House members about is what we've been talking about, is the border. This is Dwayne Burns. He brags that he helped close the border even though he didn't. That's why Governor Abbott didn't endorse him. Governor Abbott endorsed Helen Kerwin. Kerwin will be strong on border security. Vote for Helen Kerwin. Nothing. That's the entire ad. I didn't do it. I didn't. I didn't uh, selectively edit it or anything. Nothing about school choice or you know parental empowerment or any of those things that sound really good but are really bullshit. Um, Abbott's been on the campaign trail telling voters in House districts that Republicans like Burns and Glenn Rogers up in Mineral Wells uh, weren't just against school vouchers, but that they also opposed things like more money for schools and teacher pay raises. Give us education, freedom, and parental empowerment for school choice. Glenn Rogers, when he had the chance, not only voted against that, but in doing so, voted against giving $6 billion more to public education, providing teacher pay raises, and getting rid of the printed STAR test. That is a disaster. 
So this is the thing. It's kind of like if you're trying to get uh, a kid to take medicine they don't want, or you've got a pill that the dog needs to take, and you, you know, put it in a meatball and let them eat that. <laughs> the school vouchers has to go in to all these other things. It has to be uh, more money for schools. It's got to be teacher pay raises. It's got to be getting rid of the star test, things that have nothing to do with school vouchers. And if you, if you want to eat all that, then you would maybe eat that pill as well. It's just not something that's selling with people at all, Jeremy. Yeah, because you know, think of who the school voucher most helps. It helps young families, you know, who you know are in a public school and they may want to go to private schools. How many of those people are out there in 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 really passionate about that and are registered to vote yep. and are going to show up to a primary early in the year? I've said this on the show quite a bit, but like I was just kind of looking at it. You know, the one thing Texas does to make sure it's hard to knock out an incumbent is to vote so darn early. Yeah. You've heard of the Iowa caucuses, but the Iowa caucuses, they happen in January for the presidential, but they're smart enough not to put anything else on the ballot. Right, they have a primary yeah, at a different everything time. Everything else is right. in yeah. June. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to vote for your state rep, they go, well, we'll, we'll wait till June so you right. can kind of get ahead of steam going. Mm-hmm. Florida's the same way. Florida votes the same week we do in the presidential election, but in Florida, you have until August to make your case to the voters. Here, we have light speed here. We're going to do both of them on March 5th when most people are barely getting out of the Christmas, yeah. New Year's, and the struggle to knock somebody out, you're going to have to spend a ton of money and do it fast to take these people out. There were about 300 people at that rally with Abbott when he was opposed to uh, Glenn Rogers there in Mineral Wells. Rogers had about 200 people at his event, which is, I would say, it's obviously not as big as the governor's crowd. I mean, it's the governor of Texas. How often does someone that, you know, that, uh, with that kind of star power show up in Mineral Wells anymore? They used to, you know, they used to have 40 hotels in Mineral Wells. Now there's basically one, I think, um, one of our boom towns, uh, formerly. Um, Rogers had about 200 people. So, you know, you know, the guy running against him, Mike Alcott, he's got the governor there. And I think he has Sid Miller endorsing him. He's on his rhino hunt. Um, and Rogers has people like the mayor and the district attorney and people from the local school boards and, uh, and those kind of groups. And Rogers said that, look, this is a tough race, but he feels like he can still win. I just want you to know that we're up against. We're up against big money and big lives. But you know what? We're going to win this race. So the key to winning these races, you know, for Governor Abbott going against the incumbents. It, I think this room will understand this. There's three things that are really important to get this done. Yep. Location, location, and a time machine that will take you back six months ago to build the campaign. Because what you're asking voters to do is change their minds. And that's the hardest, that's the most expensive thing any political person will tell you to do, is to try to change somebody's opinion of something that's already out there. Mm-hmm. It's one thing when it's like an open seat, you've never heard of this guy, we're gonna slam this guy. But what they're asking people to do in places like Mineral Wells is, you have every two years been going to the ballot box and voting for Rogers. Yeah. And I want you to get rid of that thought. I want you to change it. You have a connection to this guy. You've always voted for him, but I'm going to tell you he's bad. And you're going to have to kind of basically tell them you were wrong for voting for them before. And voters don't like being told they're wrong. You made a wrong choice. You need to switch. That's the hardest thing to do in politics. And I think Governor Abbott, I th- he's taking notes from Iowa's governor, Tim yeah. Reynolds, who yeah. I did speak to down at the Eagle Pass mm-hmm. uh, because of all this. Uh, she was able to beat incumbents, you know, but she had a lot more 
you know, uh, like, like I talked about, runway to do it. She right. could build a campaign and she had been a former legislator and she'd been fighting the issue of school choice forever. Yeah. None of that applies to Governor Abbott. Governor Abbott did not talk about school choice from basically 2017 to, till now. Almost at it's all. It's like it was not an issue in previous legislative sessions that he made emergency items or said anything about, really. He talked about it in general, but never had this kind of push. So what he's trying to do is play off of Kim Reynolds, but he's doing it on a shorter you know, runway yep. without much, you know, fertilizing before you get to that point. Yeah, and I think what you're saying is probably even more true for Representative Drew Darby, for example, from San Angelo. Any San Angelo people? There you are. Okay. Um, so Drew Darby's been there, obviously, a long time. He has been running TV commercials in which he argues, it goes right back to the border, he argues that school vouchers would be a bad thing because you would have undocumented immigrant children getting the money. We all know our border is in crisis. Drugs, cartels, traffickers. But it's also very much driven by the free handouts offered to illegal immigrants. That's why I stopped the recent school voucher scheme. It would have provided vouchers, $10,000 each, to illegal aliens with your tax dollars. Now, Stormy Bradley is attacking me for it and says she would have supported that bill. That's just wrong. Now, in response to that commercial, Governor Abbott said, quote, Drew Darby is a liar. Every session he served in the Texas House, he voted to use your taxpayer dollars to provide free education for illegal immigrants at your local public schools. Now, I can only assume, Jeremy, that he means that in the Texas budget, which Abbott signed, there's money <laughs> appropriated for public education. And of course, the law is that all kids who live within a school district's boundaries get educated. Um, so. We talked earlier about how you know the truth is often the first casualty uh, in a political campaign, but I do think it says a lot that the governor is so untethered from reality on these things. Now, why would he be so motivated? I have sat in many a fine dining establishment or at many bars around the state talking with you know political observers about that, and of course we got our answer when a guy who supports vouchers wrote Abbott a check for $6 million. This is not that hard, right? Let, let, let's move into some of the other races going on, and then we'll get to y'all's questions in the off-the-record portion. Um, did you see that the little governor, Dan Patrick, is involved in Speaker Phelan's race now? Patrick texted Republican voters in the Beaumont area a video of himself, and listen, he, listen carefully. Patrick's very good at this. He didn't endorse the challenger to Speaker Phelan. He just talked about how Donald Trump has endorsed the challenger to Speaker Phelan, one of the challengers, uh, that being David Covey. Dave Phelan wants you to believe that he supports Donald Trump. Really? I've been the chair of the Trump campaign now for three elections in Texas, and I've never seen Dave at one Trump rally or event, and he's never offered to help. So why is Dave trying to fool you now? Because he knows he's in trouble with the voters. Dave Phelan can't fool Donald Trump. And Dave Phelan will not be able to fool you. Now, the speaker um, has come under a lot of pressure from outside forces. You have Patrick doing that. You have Ken Paxton, the MP. And by the way, when you're impeached, you're impeached forever, whether they remove you or not. Just point of fact. The impeached attorney general, Ken Paxton, has been in the district campaigning against uh, Phelan. Um, and 
you also have the Trump endorsement that Patrick mentioned, and just yesterday you had the Texas Republican Party vote to censure Phelan. So Phelan, I guess, feels that he needs to explain why these folks are all against him. So I have never seen a commercial like this um, from a sitting speaker of the Texas House of Representatives. Um, he went right after Ken Paxton in a TV ad that started running last week. It pains me to say this. Ken Paxton had an affair with a Senate staffer when his own conservative deputies discovered Paxton traded legal favors to cover up his adultery, they reported him to law enforcement. Now, Phelan also said that it pained him to say that, that, that Paxton had an affair with a Senate staffer and then was uh, describing his corruption in various ways. Uh, Phelan said, look, it wasn't just me who went after Paxton. It was a whole lot of other Republicans who saw him as very, very corrupt. 70% of House Republicans impeached him, and Paxton just admitted to the charges no longer contesting the lawsuit. Vengeful Paxton is the reason Trump's involved himself in our race. If Paxton will break an oath to his wife and God, why would he tell Trump or you the truth? Now that's stout stuff. Um, <laughs> when you and I saw that, Jeremy, we had a text exchange that day. We were going back and forth uh, about it. And number a few things can be true at once, right? Number one, Ken Paxton can deserve every word of that. Um, number two, it made me wonder, and I think it made you wonder as well, is the speaker in some trouble? I mean, I had one Republican um, consultant say that they felt like that's the kind of ad that you run if you get a poll that shows you're five points down and we need to explain ourselves. I think that, it, you know, maybe it's not so much the lieutenant governor getting involved, maybe not so much uh, the AG doing what he's been doing. I will point out there were 50, 50, 50 people at Paxton's rally against Phelan in Beaumont. I was one of them. <laughs> um, I had to check that out. Um, but it's the Trump endorsement, right? I mean, it, that's what kind of scrambles the board. It, and, and you hear in that ad, which it's hard to explain all of it in 30 seconds, you have Phelan saying, look, it's, it's Paxton who has you know, convinced Trump to even be involved in my race. Otherwise, he would have no interest in a Texas House race in Jefferson County, Texas. Absolutely. So you know, if you, in the political world, uh, they're willing to do ads. They want to do those good, nice bio ads yeah. that everybody's happy about. There's balloons, children, puppies. No happiness stuff. in that. Nobody yeah. wants to go this negative unless you have to. You don't go like this unless something's telling you your data says we're in trouble. Now, now where that trouble is could be like, you know, are they like within five points or are they down? You know, it's like that can be totally different. You saw it with the Ted Cruz versus Beto O'Rourke race in 2018. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, Ted Cruz is like, I got to hit this guy because he is one point behind me now. And then that's when they started going major negative on him and taking him down a notch. They ended up, you know, building a two and a half point gap by doing that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's a really important to note, uh, to remember. But And look what's happening here on a global perspective. And this is going to affect everybody going forward. In 2025, look what you're going to have if some of these people survive. If Dade Phelan survives this as the House Speaker, and he's working with Dan Patrick <laughs> on the other side of the chamber. Yeah. I say the word working. Like, yep. let's put this in quotations here, because I'm not sure how that's going to happen. And then you're going to have the Attorney General of the state of Texas trying to get a budget through this legislative process. And you're going to have the governor who just went to war with all these other members mm -hmm. calling some of them liars. If they win and they're in the office, it's not just the voucher issue you're going to have a problem with. Right. You're going to have problems with all kinds of stuff. You can't even get a post office renamed when you have this much anxiety. And the thing that, that right. this all yeah. tells you is like, it's funny, like I've... 
in most legislative bodies I've covered in yep. this country, including mm -hmm. Congress, you kind of get a feeling like, oh, maybe, you know, I don't think McConnell and McCarthy get along too well. Yeah. But it's never out there quite like this. It's like, it's never so wide open. And I think this is going to have such legs. And, and funny, this reminds me a lot of my time in Florida towards the end of uh, Governor Lawton Childs was the you know, governor of Florida for a long time. Yeah. And he was at the end of his term they have term limits there. We were at the eighth, you know, he just finished must up be nice. term. Yeah, he's a week away from leaving office. He ended up passing away, sadly, shortly after our interview. But he, I asked him, I was like, are you going to miss being here? And yep. he goes, hell no. <laughs> like, after eight years, all your friends have turned into your enemies because right. you haven't done enough for them. And your enemies are so much bolder. This is a great time to leave. And I think this is where Texas not having term limits yeah. for their upper level statewide office holders, you, you, the animosity grows. It never right. goes away. You know, the people in politics hold grudges like nobody you've ever met. Yeah. They will remember that vote you took in 2004 and they're hold it against you. So Forever. every time you see Trump and you know, Ted Cruz saying that everything's fine now, no, it isn't. <laughs> they have that grudge, and it's going to live with them until they're both buried. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and look, I, I think um, the the reality of the of the longevity of our office holders at, at the top of the ballot in this state. Um, think about this. When when Governor Abbott's current term is over, we'll be up to about thirty years of just two governors, right? Perry that and. Is so unlike yeah. every state in this country, where even if they don't have term limits, attrition moves people out mm -hmm. eventually. Here, there's been no movement in the top, and take it full circle, one of the reasons is because of these early primaries. We're such a primary state, as you always talk about, mm -hmm. and when you're a primary state and nobody can knock out your, uh, your, your incumbents, guess what? You're there for life. We mm -hmm. have kings that we're electing to every one of these offices, right. and they all are upset with each other. They're all, they know each other's garbage right. <laughs> at this point. They like, you do this every time and they're talking about something that happened in 2004 right. and it's still happening. You know, Greg <laughs> Abbott's been sitting in, you know, state government for what, 26 years yeah. now. It's just like, like, that's just a lot of baggage that you're yeah. bringing into every meeting with people who have been there that same time you've been there. Yeah, and look, if as long as the speaker holds on and wins his race, I would say he's, there's always a speaker's race, by the way, no matter whether the incumbent is still there or not. Um, it, you have uh, you know, the old saying, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. And, um, <laughs> and when you're the speaker, there's always somebody with a knife you know, that's trying to you know, stab you in the back. I was reminded that real friends stab you in the front. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right. Um, the, I mean, the, I mean, think about next session. If you do have Patrick and Phelan, uh, you know, just forget Governor Abbott calling people frauds and liars uh, for the moment, which he is doing. Um, I mean, he's, he's one step away from saying, you know, bring me his head. Um, with all of that, I mean, you wouldn't even be able to find, you know, as a, as a legislative team, who, who in the House is going to be able to carry your bill that Dan Patrick's not pissed at them and vice versa? Right. I mean, there'll be a lot of killing of bills going on. And let me tell you, there's that, there was that saying from the impeachment trial, there are no coincidences in Austin. That was what Tony Busby, the lawyer for, uh, for Paxton, tried to, to argue. The real saying at the Capitol is that um, there might be coincidences around here. I've just never seen one. 
And so, and so if you see your legislation dying and you can't pin it on anybody in particular, there are all kind of ways to kill those bills, right? That nobody even had any idea who did what, why what piece of paper didn't get to where it needed to go, things like that that can screw everything up. There came a point during the last legislative session, at the, I think it was the second to last special, and they became all special at some point. The, the second to last special last year, where they, the, the head of the House and the head of the Senate couldn't even agree that they needed to do a border security bill, given all the other stuff we were just talking about with the border, Jeremy. That's how bad it was that that legislation even died at that point. Yeah, remember what we're coming off of. We, they couldn't agree on a property tax cut that they all basically agreed to. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't agree to uh, teacher pay raises that they all agreed to, but they couldn't come to a solution. Mm -hmm. That's the good days. <laughs> what we're about to head into is much darker. And, and it speaks to this crazy dichotomy. Again, I've, I've covered a lot of governors in this country. Uh, and one thing I have never seen until now is a governor's national star power rising like Abbott is doing with the immigration issue yeah. but at the same time having such difficulty in navigating his own legislature. Right. Not only on the voucher issue, but everything. Like, everything's a fight right now. Like, he and Patrick don't get along. He and Dade Phelan barely get along. Uh, he can't get his priority bills through. If you look at all of his, you know, emergency items, you know, things like that are really important to him, like bail reform, mm -hmm. it never happened. Right. You know, it's like he can't get that through because he does not know how to work with these guys anymore or the enemies are so great that they're not letting him. This is going to get more difficult for him. So he's in this dangerous game that as his national star rises, mm -hmm. like he's losing power in the legislative body. And he's got to figure out how do I manage that where that doesn't start dragging you down? Because that will eventually drag you down on the state level. If all of a sudden you can't be effective, that starts getting into your national campaign if he runs for president in the future. You know, it's like when you're this governor of Texas, you're required to consider running for president, right? Is yes. that what the, it's somewhere in the That's constitution, yeah. I believe. And so like, you know, he's got, if he's not considering it, you know, yeah, he has to be. Well, there came know. a point where they just started, as soon as they, you know, went, walked into that, uh, you know, into that office, as soon as somebody went into that office, they would think, well, if George Bush did it, I, who, anybody can do it. Well, uh, well, and, and the joke we had in uh, Florida was that, like, if you're elected, you know, governor of California, Florida, Texas, or New York, uh, the four big ones, you're constantly in your own mirror preparing your State of the Union speech. Right. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just warming up to say, what will I say when I replace that guy? Because right. really, I, I have all these people, it gets in your head real quick. And so, and Ab is going to be in the spot where it's just like, you know, can't, has he created so much damage that 2025 is going to be a miserable legislative session where yeah. he takes a lot of defeats mm -hmm. that will hurt his presidential campaign? You know, all the stuff that he's been kind of helping build up towards to having a better national profile. Again, whether he runs for president or not, he wants to be on that national stage. Like, I'm not so sure he wants to be vice president, but you want to be in the conversation. You want to be in the conversation to be VP or at least be there if Trump says, hey, you want to join my cabinet if yeah. you were to win? You want to be in that conversation because especially what we're talking about with like how long he's been here, at some point you're going to have to get a new gig. And like you, and where's, where's, where do you go from when you're the governor? When you're governor, you're running everything. Yeah. And so the promotion is somewhere in Washington, D.C., maybe running an agency, maybe uh -huh. being in the White House somewhere, getting you know high profile that way. You've got to 
be in that conversation. And Abbott's done a good job in getting into that conversation right now. But man, there's some dangerous, perilous roads ahead. And it's going to be watching him navigate this over the next 12 to 16 months is going to tell us a lot about this guy's politics. I'm just going to throw this out there. If Trump is elected, um, then business groups in Texas could do everybody a favor with a billboard campaign about Abbott for Supreme Court. Be thinking about it. All right. I thought it was interesting that the Texas Realtors chili pepper list, the hot races, that the top race wasn't a Republican race. It was a Democrat race. It's the Senate race up in Dallas. You have uh, Senator Nathan Johnson, um, who I, I think of any Democrat in Texas who defeats a Republican, which both of the candidates in this are, by the way, those are dragon slayers, right? A Democrat beat a Republican in Texas. What? People will take a second look. Colin Allred was that way, right? When he beat uh, Pete Sessions of Dallas. I mean Waco. I mean Florida. <laughs> are my Dallas people down front? Y'all know what's up? Okay. They got that. that was... Thank you, DFW. Um, so in this race, you have Johnson who, uh, look, when Johnson first ran for the Senate, his pitch to voters in a general election against Don Huffines, he went to Republican events and he would say, look, I, I'm a Democrat, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm more liberal than y'all, um, but this election's a chance for you to fix your own party. I, I, I was at some of those events where he made that case. He would say, look, vote for me. Huffines doesn't represent you. you know, he's, he's way too far to the right. And for that district at that time, that was, that was right. Um, and he said, look, in four years, if you don't like me, then just vote for a Republican again. Well, the district has been changed since then and redistricting, and now it's a solidly Democratic district. It was changed such that it's drawn, at least, to offer minorities um, an opportunity to elect someone of their choice. And, of course, Senator, uh, Senator Johnson is, is white. Uh, and I, I, get, I think, let me think, if he loses, there will be no more white male Democrats in the Senate. Right, Correct. unless uh, Todd Litton wins the seat in Houston, that is now um, that is now open because of uh, Mayor Whitmire's election there uh, in H Town. Um, so you have Johnson, who's more of a moderate, and Representative Victoria Niave Criado, who is selling herself as more of a progressive. They were at a forum uh, just recently where Senator Johnson struggled a little bit with this question. He was asked whether they should campaign against their own Republican colleagues this fall. Against Republican colleagues? Mm -hmm. As in, should a Democrat challenge a Republican? No, should you actively campaign against your legislative colleagues that are Republicans? Oh, oh, should I be endorsing a Democrat who's running against a seated colleague? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I've never really thought, I've never, I think, I think not. I think that we have to work with our members and if you want to be effective, uh, that's not a very effective way to go okay. when you're at the top levels, maybe. Okay. And Representative Corretto, should members campaign against Republican colleagues? Absolutely, yes. Hers was a lot easier. Um, here you have, this is the mirror image of what we're seeing on the Republican side, right, Jeremy, where you have you know, one candidate who's trying to be more liberal, more partisan. Uh, you have Johnson saying, look, in the Texas Senate, the reality for a Democrat is you have to work with Republicans if you want to get anything done. Um, and that, you know, the challenge for someone to make that case in a primary is that the room that they were in, it's all a bunch of liberal Democrats who are listening, right? And that's gonna, who's going to make the decision. And as far as, and this will be interesting in both the seat in Houston, uh, down, down where Whitmire, uh, you know, retired from the Senate to be the, the mayor in Houston, and the seat uh, in Dallas County, um, both are 
minority opportunity districts, but potentially we'll have white senators because if you look at the way that those, uh, those districts actually vote, if you look at the demographics uh, overall, the, you know, it is a, more of a minority area, but the voting is flipped. It's all white people who vote. Right. Yeah, and, and, and this really kind of illustrates this big shift that's been happening in Texas over the last few years uh, about that we're, we're two states right now. We're a red state with a purple or a blue spine running through the middle of us. Mm -hmm. That blue spine is creating what you're seeing on the Republican side, but in a different way, right? Like you want to go as far right as you can in most of Texas to protect yourself in the primary and not have to worry about the general. That same thing is starting to happen now more frequently on the Democratic side, where in, you know, the blue spine to me is basically I-35 and I-10. Yep. You know, it's like in, in on I-35, you're going to have to go further and further left to appease the primary voters to get you the general election, mm -hmm. which is going to affect how you campaign in future general elections, which puts even more pressure on House, you know, for both Republicans and Democrats when they get to redistricting. This is why they're cutting deals with each other. It helps them both get what they want out of the primary so they don't have to worry about a general election. Yeah. It's kind of a terrible, <laughs> dark part of politics where the they're kind of comparing notes going, hey, you help my district out, we'll help your mm -hmm. district out. So they do things like, we're going to make Lizzie Fletcher, who was our number one you know, person to try to knock out of Congress, we're going to make her district safe. That's Republicans making that district safe. So they now she has to worry more about primaries than mm -hmm. she does general elections. I'm not sure that's good for legislating and governing, but politically, you think it might cause problems. <laughs> yeah. Hello, welcome to Texas politics. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, you are just a ray of sunshine, Jeremy. <laughs> and I, I say that because it's you know with all of the um, confusion and tumult and um, just the flurry of insanity you know, during the primary season, you will say, hey, Scott, here's this good thing that happened. So let, let's end on a positive note and then we'll, we'll take your questions when the, sh when the show concludes here. Um, Y'all remember um, after the tragedy in Uvalde, um, Matthew McConaughey, who is from there, it's his hometown, um, you remember him speaking at the White House very passionately about the need for government to do something, of course, very little was done, but some was, something was done, uh, thanks to Senator Cornyn working with some Democrats in the Senate. And of course, Cornyn was booed off the stage at the Republican Party of Texas Convention in Houston for even doing that. Um, but remember McConaughey talking about uh, Maite Rodriguez, who was killed that day, the girl who had the, the green shoes? Um, it was one of those moments where if you're a dad, like we are, you, you just lost it. Maite wore green high-top converse with a heart she had hand-drawn on the right toe because they represented her love of nature. Camilla's got these shoes. Can you show these shoes, please? Wore these every day. Green converse with a heart on the right toe. These are the same green converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. Now, there was all that talk about whether he would run for governor and you know, get involved, more involved in politics, maybe run for, for office. He had sort of teased that out in some different places. But here he is talking uh, just recently about how he and his wife, Camilla, have kept in touch with the folks in Uvalde and that they, look, they want what happened there, even if there hasn't been more legislation passed, they want those lives and the loss of their children 
to mean something. When Camilla and I went to Valley, the parents and the family members of the children that were killed asked for one thing, make their lives matter. But let's make sure that the first bill passed in 28 years to help protect all of our children in schools matters. So what was it they were working on? Yeah, uh, if you get the Texas Tech newsletter, which everybody should, I went off on this a lot in the newsletter earlier this week. So one of the things, I look, I roll my eyes when I see celebrities involved in politics. You know, mm-hmm. you, they could do the benefit show and then disappear and they move on with their lives. Right. And I was about as cynical as anybody with Matthew McConaughey back when he was talking about running for governor. Right. And it, we we kind of lampooned him quite a bit, you know. It's like, kind right, of. Like, yeah. Whatever. But what happened this week that made me write this and why this is on the show today is because, you know, quietly, while we were all just kind of going about our lives, uh, the McConaughey's wrote a letter to the U.S. Senate. No press releases, no TV cameras, just sent a letter saying, look, we need to do better at getting a dedicated stream of funding for school safety and mental health programs for kids. Like we, they passed that bill that Cornyn had, but they want it more dedicated to some stuff. They didn't draw a lot of attention to themselves doing it. They just got this letter. I happened to get a copy of the letter just because I have sources in the U.S. Senate said, did you know McConaughey was doing this? No, I didn't. Right. Which made me want to go off on like the, the McConaughey's here are doing something that you would hope more celebrities would do when it's like, this matters. It really does matter, even when the cameras aren't rolling. Mm -hmm. And I kind of gave them kind of a little bit of a tribute uh, where, you know, recognizing that they've shown staying power, not only in that letter, but that what you heard in that audio was part of a program they set up on their expense to help school districts pay for uh, the, the grant writing and to apply for the grants that they don't even know that are out there for them. One of the things that was happening after that Cornyn bill passed mm-hmm. for all the school safety, yep. most school districts weren't getting the money. They didn't even know where to go to apply for it. Right. We, we, there was a case where there was just 12 school districts in all of Texas that were going to get the funding. But the McConaughey's have kind of, you know, help fix this thing by providing training to 1,500 uh, school administrators around the state. And, you know, we have a lot of those. Uh, but they're starting to train these people on how to get this grant money so then they can find, you know, get people in their you know, schools who can maybe recognize the kids who are having trouble, the kids who are maybe, you know, like at threat of having mm-hmm. violence done to them or to their family and just really kind of address that mental health issue. So this was me, like, and this is kind of one of the things I've been trying to do with the newsletter more is kind of like, you know, get you behind the scenes on some of this stuff. And here Matthew McConaughey is completely behind the scenes right. doing just something that is, is good. You know, it's like, you know, take all the celebrity away from it. It's like I, I was just very appreciative that he and Camilla are really kind of putting their effort into this thing and haven't moved on. Also in the newsletter later this week, you'll have, uh, what, the U.S. Senate candidates uh, on the Democratic side there coming up uh, yeah, later, later maybe Thursday, Friday. We're doing something entirely different. We're going to do a, a newsletter live. Oh. Uh, I'm going to do live interviews with uh, U.S. Senator, uh, U.S. Senate candidates Colin Allred mm-hmm. and Roland Gutierrez back-to-back on Thursday live. We'll have the uh, information in the newsletter and we'll publicize it all on the HoustonChronicle.com. Yeah. But this will be one of the few opportunities where you hear both of these guys you know back to back uh, they, they have not been in the same room often but they will be for this event on Thursday at 12:30 and one o'clock are the two interviews all right that is definitely enough of this show I I'm done with it right Evan are you done with it all right our, our producer is Evan Scherer thank you sir
thank you, Texas Realtors, for having us. And if you're not already, you should be subscribers to the show. Just go on your phone, search Texas Take on your favorite podcast app. Click subscribe. It'll show up each and every week. You don't even have to do anything. You should also be subscribers at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com. And thank you all so much for having us at your winter meeting.